Uh, and I want to read two passages to us. We're, we're doing a series in uh, Matthew's Gospel, so I'm going to come to Matthew chapter 19 in just a moment. Uh, but before that, uh, could you turn me please to the book of Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament. Uh, again, if you've got one of the church Bibles, it's page 802. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 13. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 13. Uh, Last week in in Matthew's Gospel, we looked at Jesus' teaching on marriage. Uh, We're in a a little section of the book where he's speaking about family, basically, different family matters. Uh, We'll see in a moment from Matthew 19, he's going to speak about children. But I want you to read from Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 uh, to 16, uh, where God links marriage and children very clearly. Uh, the context is uh, God is telling off his people through the prophet Malachi, uh, particularly here the men uh, who've been getting rid of their wives, just throwing them away uh, in order to, uh, to marry other women. Verse 13, this second thing you do, You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favour from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you've been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Well, let's come on, please, to uh, the book of Matthew, where we'll be spending most of our time this morning. Uh, Malachi is the end of the Old Testament and Matthew is the beginning of the new. So uh, not too hard to flick on to Matthew 19. And verse 13, sorry, 13. A short passage today. Matthew 19 and verse 13. So Jesus has been speaking about marriage and divorce and singleness. Verse 13. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he lays his hands on them and went away. Uh, We've begun this series, uh, or restarted, I suppose, the series uh, in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, And today, pretty clearly, Jesus is speaking about children. Now, some of you are children. So that's good news for you. He is speaking about children. He's speaking to you, in other words, children. Some of you have children, your parents. So again, I suppose this might be uh, of pretty direct interest. But many of you don't have children and you no longer are children. So why should we care? We should care, of course, in part because it's all part of God's words. We don't get to cherry pick. That's one of the reasons we preach through books of the Bible consecutively. So we can't dodge bits that we might be less interested in. But I think we should care too, because uh, children, or attitude to children, uh, are central to how God grows the church, grows the kingdom. Uh, there's only one tool use it, God uses uh, to, to, to bring people to faith. 
anything. That is the gospel. Only one message. Everybody needs the gospel message. Uh, the message of Jesus dying for sins in order that we might be forgiven, rising again to conquer death. Uh, that is the only way into heaven. Let me be really clear on that from the start. But we could say, I think, faithfully to the, to the Bible, that there are two strategies, if you like, for growing God's kingdom. Only one tool, the gospel, in the power of the spirit, but two strategies. Uh, the first one is the one we're most familiar with. That is, go out there and do evangelism. Emily's spoken about it already. It go, go to all nations, says Jesus at the end of this gospel, end of Matthew's gospel, and make disciples of all nations. It's the church's job to, to tell the world about Jesus and the good news. It's a hard job. It's involved suffering for many people at many times, but it is our role as a church. Something we pray for, uh, something we, we try and be active in. But, but God also grows the church, the kingdom, uh, through the raising up of the next generation of children. Uh, we won't do it, but in almost every room I've ever been in that's sort of a room full of Christians, whether it's a church or at a conference or a gathering or a training college or whatever it may be, on average, at least 75% of the room have one or more Christian parents. I wonder if I was to ask this this morning, but you know, Put your hand up if one or more of your parents, one or other of your parents are Christians. What percentage of us uh, would put our hands up? It, it is, that, that is not just a coincidence. <laughs> it's not just that um, because, God willing, faithful parents teach the gospel uh, to their children, um, that lots of those children come to faith. Uh, rather, it, it, it is part of God's strategy that the, the, the church works down the generations, if you like. Uh, what that means, if you do have children, or if maybe in the future you will have God, uh, children, you will have children, that one of the most important callings in your life is to raise the next generation. Yes, you want to reach your colleagues with the gospel or your neighbours, um, uh, those out and about in Leeds. Of course we do. But one of your most important callings will be to raise the generation below you. There was a pastor in Kidderminster back in the 17th century called Richard Baxter. He said this, Few parents do their duty. Many take more pains about their horses and cattle than they do about their children's souls. I wonder how we might we update that. Few parents do their duty. Many take more pains about their cars and houses. Phones and TVs, careers and holidays, bank balances and mortgages, than they do about their children's souls. The next generation are of vital importance to the life of the church. Now, as soon as I speak about that, we can begin to feel really guilty. And what I don't want this morning to be is this huge burden on those of you who are parents, whether you've got young children or grown-up children, um, sort of crushes you into thinking that, if only you'd been better, you could sort of change the souls. No, none of us can engineer the souls of our children. We know that. Okay, there is no magic potion. There's no surefire strategy. In fact, that's part of what this passage teaches us, I think. 
But Jesus is orientating the church and giving us, I think, uh, directions as to how might we treat this, the, the younger children, uh, the younger ones among us, rightly, uh, as a family, as a church family. Two very simple things this morning. Uh, firstly, and very obviously, Jesus welcomes children. Okay, Jesus welcomes children. Uh, then children, verse 13, were brought to him. So he'd been teaching about marriage. And unsurprisingly, we just talked about marriage and divorce. The next topic is children. Children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. Um, that's not a small thing. Oh, we get it again in verse 15. He laid his hands on them and went away. When, when people lay their hands on in the Bible, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a blessing. Okay. Uh, Jesus is not... Um, He's, he's not just sort of uh, someone who's, you know, who sort of likes kids, you know, a bit like kind of the nice old uncle or something like that. For, for Jesus, the Son of God, to lay his hands on these children uh, is a sign that they belong. Okay? They, they, they can receive God's blessing. God doesn't bless those outside the kingdom. Okay? Blessing is tied in with bearing God's name. Okay? He only blesses those who bear his name. Uh, blessing is tied in with being inside the family. Now, if you're an adult this morning and you're not yet a Christian, you can come under God's blessing just, just by coming empty-handed. Again, we're going to see that in just a moment. It's not something you have to earn. It's not something you have to be good enough for. It is a free gift, that the blessing, the favour, the kindness of God. But it's not something that is just poured out on everybody. And yet here Jesus does bless the children in other words, he's treating them as if they are part of his family, part of the kingdom. And that's confirmed by, by his words. The disciples don't like it, do they? They rebuke the people, verse 13. We're not told why, but the disciples are trying to act like Jesus bounces. Keep out. I once went to um, a conference in America, Christian conference in America, and I've never seen anything like it. It's extraordinary. Um, in England, if you go to a Christian conference... Uh, and there's a sort of a famous speaker, as it were. Everyone basically avoids them because um, they're a bit shy to talk to them or they don't want to they want to sort of pretend they're a big deal or anything like that. In America, it was astounding. Um, there was a roped off area at the front for the speakers. Um, it was sort of like a VIP area in a sort of club or something. Um, there were bouncers, huge guys with the other kind of like whatever they are, earpieces and all the rest of it. Um, people in the, the conference just pressing a gun up against the wire. Like, yeah, John Piper said, Dr. Piper, will you sign my Bible? Tim Keller, can I have a photo with you? That was extraordinary. But they were being kept out. There was the famous Christian speakers bit at the front, and then there was the bog-standard ordinary Christian bit outside. And these huge bouncers protecting Keller and Piper and all these famous speakers. That's what the disciples are doing here. Don't let the little people interrupt Jesus. He's the, the leading theologian of our day, the greatest preacher of our day. Get away. But Jesus is having none of it, verse 14. Let the little children, little children, okay, these aren't teenagers um, who are able to sort of ask intelligent questions. Okay, these are tiddlers. Uh, the, the word Luke uses in his gospel is the same, is the word for infants. It's the word used to drive, describe John the Baptist, but he's still in the womb. Okay, so these are little children being brought let the children come to me and don't stop them, don't hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these, as Jesus pointing at the children. 
Now, at this stage, perhaps in a, in a desire to be evangelistic, a desire to draw applications for, for grown-ups, I think we run really quickly and say, oh, look, that's a great illustration. What Jesus is doing here is using children as an illustration of the gospel. He doesn't mean that children, the children are actually in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God actually belongs to them. He means it belongs to people like children. That is just simply not what he says. We've already seen that he's blessing them, and he only blesses those who are inside the kingdom. He never blesses those outside. But also, he simply says, to such, these to such as these, to such belongs the kingdom of God. If you say to such belongs the kingdom of God, then at the very least, you're meaning these people. You might also mean and people like them, but you can't exclude the very people Jesus is talking about. Uh, so imagine this morning, um, uh, as uh, sort of we, were, we were gathering for church, I don't know who was on welcome on the door, but um, uh, someone's on welcome on the door, and um, you sort of suddenly hear a bit of a rumpus. He says, What's going on? So you go outside. Uh, and you find out that, that, I don't know, let's say Zach was unwelcome. Zach was, was not letting a certain group of people in. I say, Zach, what are you doing? He says, I have students. Okay, we don't want students in here. Students, they're just takers, not givers. They can't, they've got no money to give to church. They don't do anything. They're a waste of space. Keep them out. He said, no, Zach, no. Come on, we've talked about this. Okay. To such belongs the kingdom of God. Okay. This church is for people like them. So you come back inside and another five minutes and uh, various other people come in. But, but, but then you realise actually the students are still not inside. So you go outside and say, Zach, what are you doing? You can see he's still got them corralled in the garden. Okay, just stuck away behind a rope. And he would say, well, no, 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 you said to me that the church is for people like them. So I've let in people who are like them. Uh, children at school, they're kind of like students. I've let in teachers at the university, they're kind of like students. But surely you didn't mean actually the students. You said people like them. You said such as students. So what are you on about? Okay, obviously, I actually mean the students. If you go shopping and your wife says... Oh, I love flowers like these. My suggestion is, husbands, you buy those ones. Okay? You don't say, well, won't get those ones. I'll get other ones that have got a kind of stem and petals. Equally, if you were to come home with those flowers and your wife was to say, what do you give me those for? I reckon you'd have the right to feel pretty miffed if she was upset. You literally said you love flowers like these, such as these. For some reason, for some reason, there is a bit of a tendency to come to this passage and say it's not teaching us anything about actual children. It's just teaching us about people who are a bit like children. It simply does not mean that and cannot mean that. Jesus welcomed real children, little children, children who had to be brought. You see verse 13? Okay, these weren't. Like I said, they aren't 16-year-olds who are putting their hand up in a, at the end of an evangelistic meeting and coming forward. These are tiddlers. 
who are brought to Jesus. Now, he's not welcoming all kids indiscriminately. Uh, the parents, he's in Judea. We saw that at the beginning of chapter 19. Uh, he's in, in, the, in, in, in Israel, yeah, amongst God's people. Uh, so these are parents who clearly trust Jesus, who realise that at least there's something special about him. How much of the whole picture they've got together yet? Don't know. But at the very, list, at the very least, they know that, that he is a source of blessing. And it's always been the case right the way through the Bible that the children of believing parents are counted as part of God's church. The children of believing parents are counted as part of the church. And so they are to grow up, they've got the privilege of growing up as if they are members of the kingdom. Now, now don't mishear me. We don't know, okay, when a child is born... We don't know what they believe. I've got a four-week-old, a Iona over there. I don't know. She doesn't believe anything. It's possible she's born again. So in Luke's Gospel, we're told John the Baptist is born again before he's born. God, if he wants, can put his spirit in, in anyone at any age. It's possible. She's got no idea. So I'm not saying that every child of every Christian is a genuine Christian or will become a genuine Christian at some point. We know, sadly, that's not always the case. What I am saying is that the way God trains us from Genesis right the way through to the New Covenant 2, the New Testament 2, is that we should welcome children, uh, the children of believers, and treat them uh, as though they belong in the kingdom. They are part of the kingdom. It is not something they have to grow up to enter into, but something they are in from birth. They have the privilege of being counted as part of God's people. And that's why we read that Malachi passage. Part of the point of marriage is to raise up a godly offspring, uh, as Malachi said. What was the one God seeking in bringing you together as a couple? Well, Malachi. Uh, Malachi 2, uh, verse 15. What was he seeking? Godly offspring. Okay, children who would grow up and believe in him. Uh, this, I think, should not be a surprise. Uh, one writer said this, that the Lord should direct his saving love down the lines of generations is only to be expected of a father who knows what it is to love a son. It is God's pattern very often to pour his love down the generations. And that means, I think, that we should treat the children here at Christchurch Central as brothers and sisters. Now, they may grow up and walk away from the faith. I know that. Perhaps they'll then return much later in life. They never despair. If you've, got, if you've got grown-up kids and they seem to have walked away, don't despair. Keep praying for them. Keep pleading. But as they grow, and until they do decide to walk away, we treat them as brothers and sisters, little brothers and little sisters. Of course, we teach them the gospel. We urge them to believe. Of course we do. But they are part of the church. They're not the future of the church, as we often say, but they are part of the church. In that sense, we treat them as little disciples, not as little Christians out there on the outside. Uh, that was certainly the pattern all the way through the Old Testament. If you were a Jewish, a little Jewish boy growing up in Israel, you grew up being discipled by God's word from your earliest days. So you might know some of the laws of the Old Testament that seem a bit strange to us. So um, uh, the Jewish children were not allowed to eat pork. Sorry, Jewish people were not allowed to eat pork. That's, that was part of the word of God in the Old Testament. 
Well, a Jewish boy growing up wasn't allowed to eat pork. <laughs> they didn't say to him, well, look, if you decide to, to become a, a Jew like mummy and daddy, well, then you'll have to not eat pork. No, just from the first day, you don't eat pork. Uh, they don't say to the little Jewish boys, hey, if you, if you grow up and decide you want to join us in the, in the uh, synagogue on the Sabbath day, um, you can do so. No, you're just coming to the synagogue. That's what we do because we are a family that belongs to the Lord. Well, nothing changes uh, in the new covenant. Uh, it's a challenge for us, I think. It means we need to disciple our children. Uh, as I said right at the beginning, that is a, that is a huge part of responsibility uh, lying on your shoulders if you are a father uh, and indeed a mother. Uh, the good news here, I think, is that much of your responsibility is simply to bring them to Jesus. You can't do that physically, obviously, he's not on earth, he's not in Judea anymore. But you do it in prayer. Lord Jesus, bless these children. Lord Jesus, they, they belong to you as part of the people of God, but give them new hearts. Oh, Lord Jesus, you have made them. I want my children to be a godly offspring for you. I want them to serve you, to love you, to follow you. Bless them. You bring them, as it were, to Jesus. And, and perhaps I might just, if I might just say a word to parents that... I think there's always a bit of a tendency um, that we think parenting is about programs and patterns and what we do. Okay, we, parent, we, we end up parenting by works, not by grace. If I could just do more, if I read the right book, if I educate them the right way, if I make them um, sing the right songs as children, if I keep them in the service from a young age, if I do this, this, this and this, well, then they definitely become believers. And we think that parenting is more about our action than God's. We rely more on what we do than on prayer. Here, the parents are a great example to us, bringing their children to Jesus for him to bless. It is good to do all those things, obviously. Teach your children the Bible. Teach them to sing um, good songs. Bring them to church. Of course, of course, of course. And other places in the Bible would have taught us that. But today, bring them. As a challenge, it's a challenge to, to the rest of us in church if we haven't got children. Um, they're not an inconvenience. Let's not become like the disciples, annoyed when the children are a bit noisy. Or if we're on children's work, perhaps, um, again, when things kick in in the next couple of work weeks and the children's groups kick in properly. Let's not think that the children's work is somehow second best, the kind of thing I'll just, if I'm on it, I'll just look at it half an hour beforehand and bash something out because they're only children after all. You know, if I was preparing an adult Bible study, I'd really work at it because, you know, I'd get found out if I don't. But with children, it doesn't matter. They are not second class members of the church. Uh, there is to, let me say, a comfort when you realise that throughout the scriptures, God treats that the children of believers as, uh, as those who belong to the kingdom. There is a comfort in those hard, hard times when we lose a child. Uh, this is a sad but common experience. Many of you will have been through it, losing a child, uh, perhaps in the womb, uh, losing a child, perhaps in their early years. So I think the word of God gives us comfort that in those circumstances, our child is welcomed into heaven by the Lord Jesus. I think of David. I'm a David of Bathsheba. 
He does terrible things. He steals another man's wife, sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, arranges for her husband to be murdered, and then the, the woman becomes pregnant. And when the, when the child is born, it's all in 2 Samuel 12, if you want to look at it later, it's all in 2 Samuel 12, when the child is born, the child instantly becomes sick. And so David, this great king, he tears his clothes, he prays, he won't eat or drink, he just lies and prays and prays and prays. And eventually the child dies, but he doesn't know. Okay, the servants know, but he hasn't heard yet. And so the servants have come into the room and they're all trying to work out who's going who's to tell him, who's not going to... And eventually he sort of notices, he realises, and he says that the child's died, haven't they? And one of the servants says, yes. And David gets up and puts on some proper clothes, tidies his hair, has an eat and a drink, gets on with life. And the servants are amazed. They say, well, you know, when the child was ill, you were distraught. Now the child's died, you, you're sort of functioning again. Uh, David says this. I will go to him, but he cannot come to me. 2 Samuel 12, 23. I will go to him, but he cannot come to me. The child's not coming back, David says, not in this life. But I will go to him. And he's not just saying, well, one day I'm dead too, we're all going to die and rot. No, David is a man who believes in the resurrection, believes in eternal life. I will go to him. He says, David, just a minute, your child died when they were two, three days old. Never made a profession of faith. Never heard the gospel. David says, yeah, I know, but I'm confident. I'm confident. Because ultimately we're saved by grace and grace alone. God can save who he wants. If God wants to bring a child to life, even before they've heard the gospel, he can do that. And David reasons on the basis of the fact that children are inside the church, inside the covenant people. Well, David reasons this child is safely home. This has been a pretty standard evangelical position down the generations. Here's Samuel Rutherford, a great Scottish minister. Uh, he wrote to a lady who lost her, uh, lost her daughter. He said this, you've lost a child. He's Scottish, so pardon the accent. Uh, you've lost a child. Nay, she is not lost to you who is found to Christ. She's not sent away, but only sent before. Like a star, which going out of our sight doesn't die and vanish, but shines in another hemisphere. Ye see her not, but she does shine in another country. If her glass was but a short hour, in other words, her egg timer, as it were, ran out quickly, what she wanteth of time, she hath gotten of eternity. What she lost down here, in other words, she's gained in eternity. You can have confidence, brothers and sisters, if you've been through that terrible grief, I think the word of God gives you confidence that by his grace alone, through the blood of Christ alone, your children are at rest and at peace and more alive than you are today. Jesus welcomes children as he sits on his throne in heaven. He is no less welcoming than when he sat on that rock in Judea 2,000 years ago. But there is another lesson here. Jesus does welcome children. That's a lesson for us. And Jesus welcomes children, so never grow up. Okay, that is a lesson for the rest of us. Never grow up. 
Verse 14 again. To such belongs the kingdom of heaven. To such belongs the kingdom of heaven. That word is to such. And it, it, it does mean to these ones and those like them. Okay, it's not literally just these, I don't know, dozen children or something like that. Uh, and we get this, we get this um, story in, in um, Mark and Luke as well. In those Gospels, Jesus goes on and does make this sort of illustration point and say, says something like, you know, therefore, if you will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child, you'll never enter it. I think he makes the comparison. Here he doesn't actually say that, does he? But there is a pretty straight away a, a, a contrast with a man. I'm going to look at this more next week when um, I'm away, but Zach's going to preach. Behold, a man came up to him, verse 16, saying, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? He moves about from teaching on children to this man who comes and says, what must, what must I do to, it, to buy eternal life? There's a deliberate contrast going on here. Um, children are, are a picture. Why? What is it about children? It's not they're innocent. It's not they're young and innocent because, man, are they not innocent. <laughs> okay. It's not that they're without sin. Children, you know that. You need your sin forgiving. But what children are brilliant at is taking. Okay, that is what they're brilliant at, just taking and never paying back. Okay, little, little baby owner, okay, four, four weeks old, okay. We've we bought her clothes, okay, we've fed her, we've changed her nappy, we've bathed her. My wife is up all hours of the night feeding her. She has given us nothing, absolutely nothing, not even a smile. <laughs> Take, 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 no payback. You've given children presents, especially little presents. Have you ever given a child a present and they've reached into their pocket? Children, have you ever done this? When mummy and daddy give you presents, have you ever sort of said, oh, thank you so much for my Christmas presents. Now, how much do I owe you? What was that? Was that a fiver? Was that, was that 10 pounds, 20? No. All the children I've seen, all the children I've seen say, brilliant, thank you. Is there another one? We receive like children, to quote Mark and Luke's gospel. It's the receiving like a child. The way into the kingdom of heaven, the way we should be like children, is by coming empty-handed. We rely on what the Bible calls grace. That is, we bring nothing to the table. A grown-up grown Christian is a contradiction in terms in that sense. We always need to be those who stay empty-handed. Uh, the gospel tells us we're saved by grace alone. The Christian life is to be lived by grace alone. I wonder if you've been a Christian a while, I wonder if you've sort of subconsciously tried to move on from grace. Okay, when you first became a Christian, I was great, I'm forgiven, I've done nothing, it's all, it's all God's work. And now I kind of feel like I need to be trying harder and doing better. I mean, it started that I was saved by grace, all those things I did before I became a Christian. But now I need to add in my Bible reading, my prayers, my evangelism, my holiness. And I've not done very well with those, so probably God's quite cross at me. And I wonder if he's pushing me away. And you begin by grace, you stay by grace. Great hymn, Rock of Ages. has a verse, not the labour of my hands could fulfil the law's demands. Could my zeal, no respite, no. Could my tears forever flow. I wept over my sin forever. All could never sin erase. Thou must save and save by grace. Don't grow up. 
stay as a needy child. Come to the Lord Jesus every day and say, I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. Uh, Don't come saying, "Uh, Lord, I've, I've done so much for you. Now, please, in return, give me this. Uh, don't run away from him until you've been good enough to come back and ask for something, for what you need. Don't wait until you think you've been pure enough or holy enough. Come like a child. Whatever it is that is crushing you at the moment, whatever battles you have in your, in your Christian life, frankly, in all of your life, he cares about all our needs, all our anxieties. Just come to him. Grace never runs out. Let me close with this. When I was uh, about 22, I went to work for a church in, um, in a village in Derbyshire. And they, they, um, I couldn't afford to, to rent a house or anything. So they let me live with a family. Uh, the, the father of the family had done quite well for himself. Uh, I think he ran some nursing homes. Um, and he said to me, look, any time, I had a, little, tiny, a tiny little Nissan Micro, a little car. He said, any time you need petrol, just go to the garage in the village and just say, Barry will pay. Okay. So the first time my car ran out of petrol, I drove to this little garage, little private garage, little independent garage rather in the village, and filled up the little tank of petrol, went in, a little bit sort of, you know, normally you have to pay, don't you? So I just said to the guy, um, Barry will pay? And he's like, ah, oh, fine. I wrote down 30 quid on the tab or whatever. A week later, car ran out of petrol again, went back in again. Barry will pay? Yeah. A week later, the car ran out of petrol again. I drove to a different garage and paid. I felt like I can't, I can't take advantage. I can't go again and get someone else to pay. It's really good of him to do a couple of tanks, 40, 50 quid back then. But it, it was just wrong to go a third time. And eventually Barry found out <laughs> and said, what are you doing? What are you doing? Go to the garage and tell them Barry will pay. So you haven't got anything, John T. You haven't got any money. I'm fine. I can fill a micro up as many times as I want. But we can be like that in our Christian life. Well, I, I know you forgave my sins to begin with, but not, not now. I can't come back to you again, Lord. I'm too cold-hearted. I'm not praying earnestly enough. I'm not... I'm not loving you enough. I'm not fervent enough. I'm not passionate enough. I haven't done any evangelism. I haven't read my Bible for two weeks. I haven't read my Bible for two years. I, haven't, I can't come again. I need, to, I need to sort things out. And then, you know, I'll do 10% and you can do 90. I know you're better than me. But no, no, no. Barry will pay. The Lord Jesus will pay. Come empty-handed. Never, never, never grow up. His grace is sufficient. It is all you need. It never runs out. It never costs a penny. It was bought at the price of the son of God's life. And he delights to pour it out on his children. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, uh, we praise you that your grace uh, is a a well without bottom. Uh, Your grace is a fountain that that overflows and never runs dry. Uh, Lord Jesus, we praise you that you... In you are found all the riches we need, all the treasure we need, all the strength we need, all the compassion we need, all the courage we need, all the holiness we need. Uh, There is no gift we need to bring, but there is no gift you withhold.
And so we bring before you our children, those here today, those not with us, but part of our family. And pray in your mercy you would give them eternal life, this gift. We pray for those who've wandered astray, who at the moment seem far from you. And again, I plead before you the covenant. Uh, They bear your name in baptism. We pray you would pour your spirit upon them and bring them home, uh, be they prodigals uh, or elder brothers. And we pray for ourselves and ask that we never stop coming to the well of grace, uh, that we never grow up and try and stand on our own two feet, but rather rely on you and you alone. Bless us, we pray. For we ask in the Lord Jesus' name. Amen.